213 Things About Me, a podcast about thinking, living and dying, from an autistic point of view. Trigger warning. This podcast contains opinions which might cause discomfort in some people. The ingredients may cause allergic responses in the brains of some listeners. Episode 4. Some days are worse than others. Hey, now... Here's something you'll all be interested in. My birthday. It happens to be on the same day Albert Hoffman intentionally ingested 250 micrograms of LSD. The day is now known as Bicycle Day because he began to feel the effects of the drug as he rode home on a bike. This was the first intentional LSD trip on the 19th of April, 1943. LSD was offered to me as a gift for being coincidentally born on this auspicious day and I took it. Hoffman died at the age of 102 from a heart attack on the 29th of April 2008. He described LSD as medicine for the soul. Perhaps I have no soul, for I found the hallucinations to be repetitive, annoying and mundane. Now, my birthday, which if you didn't take note is on the 19th of April. Can you guess what else happened on my birthday? No? Well, it would be unlikely that you would. Now pay attention, because you might not follow what I'm talking about, but I'm used to that. The martyrdom of St Alfred of Greenwich. He was taken prisoner during the sack of Canterbury by Danish raiders. He was held to ransom, but refused to let it be paid on the principle of the thing. Anyway, on my birthday, back in the year 1012, a bunch of dudes got really drunk and started throwing cow heads at him. Yeah, cow heads. Who, I wonder, has an excess supply of cow heads. Eventually, he's put out of his misery with the blunt end of an axe. There's some dispute as to whether or not this was done as a favour. And then there's the American Revolution. The whole shooting match started on my birthday. Not that I was born in 1775, obviously. Let me take you on my mental roller coaster, which happens when I think of the ousting of the English and the establishment of democracy in America. I think of the French. They completely broke the bank, supplying America to thwart their arch enemies, the English. They wrote a bunch of crazy stuff on this whole democracy idea and then were inspired to revolt against their own monarchy by chopping off all their heads. So the Americans may be the biological children of the English, but then that makes the French like their weird cousins. So if General Thomas Gage is a British Darth Vader wheezing, I am your father, then the French are the Ewoks. Wait, hold on a second. Where was I going with this? That's right. Yes. The marriage of Figaro. Yes. It is my completely unfounded belief that Mozart was so moved by the American Revolution that he began a life in politics. The marriage of Figaro is legendary for having been banned for its licentious and political implications. But the truth is, the libretto was actually censored before Mozart put music to it. And then I start thinking about Beethoven and Napoleon and Victor Hugo in that order. You know why? Come on, kick up because of the war that was started on my birthday in 1775. Oh, it's also the day that the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising started. So, happy birthday to me. These days... When people ask me how I am, I always seem to think I'm well. There's no broken bones. Nobody's dead. Well, 
that isn't strictly true, but what could possibly be wrong? Some part of me wants to tell you that everything's just fine. Just wants to tell you the good bits. Just the parts where people have been kind. Just the part where I rode my bike in the twilight and breathed hard in the night air. Just the part where the water shone pink and gold in the early morning light. And some other part of me just wants to tell you the worst of it. The light-headed afternoons when I notice I haven't been eating for days. Or the endless confusion where people say pretty much anything except what they mean. Or the sadness at realising I've been fooled or duped because I trusted someone. Anyone. Or the failed relationships, where I've been seeing someone who doesn't make any effort for me, while I make a world of effort for them. Just because they're human. 51. I never buy anyone presents or send anyone cards. 52. I don't know whether I am welcome or interrupting when I enter a room. 53. I love socialising, but everything must be on my terms and my friends are responsible for maintaining contact and making appointments with me. 54. I don't think it's logically possible to empathise. That's a controversial point of view. In a time of virus, perhaps it's apposite to talk about emotional contagion. Social media is an excellent spreader of this contagion. The panic buying of every toilet roll in the country is a fantastic example of emotional contagion, with people not directly affected by an event acting as if they were. It's also empathetic. Fear, panic, mob anger and grief at the death of someone not directly connected to a person, like a celebrity, are examples of emotional contagion. It's also empathetic. Empathy could be thought of as a kind of infection, although it's generally a revered state in our society and considered a good thing. However, as I just pointed out, it has its downside. So what is empathy? The term was first introduced in 1909 by psychologist Edward B. Titchener as a translation of the German term Einfühlung, meaning feeling into. Empathy is usually thought of as being a driver for unselfish pro-social behaviour, whereas a lack of empathy is often considered a major factor in antisocial behaviour. In fact, this is a fantastically simplistic representation of a complex neurological process, and I have already illustrated how empathy can have deleterious effects. I looked up empathy. The concise Oxford English Dictionary defines it as The power of identifying oneself mentally with, and so fully comprehending, a person or object of contemplation. OK, let's go with that. Obviously, it's impossible to fully comprehend any person or object outside of oneself. I'm not sure if that's what's generally meant when the term is used. I'll look further. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it thus. The action of understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, and vicariously experiencing the feelings, thoughts and experience of another, of either the past or present, 
without having the feelings, thoughts and experience fully communicated in an objectively explicit manner. Can we really know what it's like to be anything other than ourselves? Can we comprehend what it's like to be a sunflower? We only see the part of the flower we are looking at. We know the rest is there from experience, but we cannot know what it's actually like to be a sunflower. However, this is a non-conscious object with no sensory network, as far as we can tell, so I suppose it doesn't matter. What about an animal? Say a cat. This is where it gets trickier. We, as humans, have a habit of projecting our feelings onto things and creatures. We can see if an animal is in pain or appears content, but catness, what it is to be a cat, is forever beyond our grasp. Our companion animals have no self-awareness, at least not as far as we can tell. They cannot pass the mirror test, yet they appear to have some form of consciousness. They know they are not other cats or animals, but we fail absolutely in being able to experience the embodied feeling of being a cat. We just attribute human feelings onto them, so that's not empathy. So when it comes to people, then what? Can we experience what it is like to be another person in a different state from ourselves? I would say we can't. We can guess or extrapolate, I suppose, but we are forever trapped in our own experience of the world. One of the problems with empathy is it is often confused with theory of mind, and neither of these things are properly understood. The entire nature of consciousness is subject for massive debate where nothing is actually resolved. Theories abound, but then don't they always? Then there's sympathy, a close relative of empathy. According to Merriam-Webster again, we have sympathy versus empathy. Sympathy and empathy are closely related words, bound by shared origins and the similar circumstances in which each is applicable, yet they are not synonymous. For one thing, sympathy is considerably older than empathy, having existed in our language for several hundred years before its cousin was introduced, and its greater age is reflected in a wider breadth of meaning. Sympathy may refer to feelings of loyalty or unity or harmony in action or effect, meanings not shared by empathy. In the context where the two words do overlap, sympathy implies sharing or having the capacity to share feelings of another, while empathy tends to be used to mean imagining or having the capacity to imagine feelings that one does not actually have. 55. I see the actions of others as being motivated by a handful of logical possibilities and I'm convinced that only one of them is functioning at a time. Motivations do not appear to be a variety of factors or on a spectrum. 56. I will give in to irrational demands and be foolishly self-sacrificing, to the point of complete destitution, in order to avoid unpleasant social interactions. 57. I always argue for the underdog. Always. Even when the underdog is evil or not in my favour. 58. I don't know that something has upset me until I've had time to think about it. 59. I rarely cry when it would be most appropriate to do so. 60. I copy people without realising it. People accuse me of mocking them. 61. 
I don't know who I am. Until recently, I thought this was a phenomenon of the human experience. Empathy is often broken into three subtypes, cognitive, emotional and compassionate. I would argue the first is useful, and AS people are more than likely to have this kind of empathy. I can understand your situation without needing to feel what you feel. Indeed, I cannot feel what you feel, and nor can anyone else. Number two, emotional empathy. Some people may be able to reproduce a facsimile of what they imagine another person is feeling, but nonetheless they are not feeling it. They are feeling their own emotions. This strikes me as unhelpful and could lead to the unnecessary purchase of toilet paper. The third, compassionate empathy, is a kind of mixture of the previous types and is a fudge. In fact, the whole idea of empathy is a combination of imagination and reasoning. It is unfortunate that it is given such an important place in the world, when it would seem to be in rather short supply. Proper empathic engagement helps an individual understand and anticipate the behaviour of another. Apart from the automatic tendency to recognise the emotions of others, one may also deliberately engage in empathic reasoning. Two general methods have been identified here. An individual may simulate fictitious versions of the beliefs, desires, character traits and context of another individual to see what emotional feelings it provokes. Or, an individual may simulate an emotional feeling and then access the environment for a suitable reason for the emotional feeling to be appropriate for that specific environment. Some research suggests people are more able and willing to empathise with those most similar to themselves. In particular, empathy increases with similarities in culture and living conditions. Empathy is more likely to occur between individuals whose interaction is more frequent. Hmm, so you understand and sympathise more easily with people you know and who are like yourself. That's hardly a surprise. Kind of basic anthropology stroke psychology, really. There's a myth that autists can't empathise, but of course we can. The problem is with figuring out what someone else is feeling from non-verbal cues, body language, facial expressions and so on. Problems working out what someone else is feeling isn't the same as not feeling empathy for them. Not at all. April Fool's Day. Today I spent the whole day inside knitting. I did talk to my neighbours for a few minutes. But mostly I sat inside listening to lectures on economics whilst knitting with very, very tiny yarn on very, very tiny needles following very, very, very difficult patterns. It's not entirely uncommon for me to sit inside fixated on something all day. It is in fact routine. But today was slightly different. I was actually uncomfortable with the idea of going out anywhere today because today is my least favourite day of the year. April Fool's Day. Now I've heard Aspies are supposed to like pranks. And as I recall, I did a few pretty sophisticated pranks at a precocious age. And I enjoy hearing stories about elaborate pranks. But I hate being tricked. A friend of mine suggested this was because I was gullible. This is true. However, on April Fool's Day, I'm not. I'm suspicious of everyone and everything. 
I trust no one. I'm on the edge, just waiting for someone to make me feel small and stupid. This same friend and I had been discussing how I was swindled recently at the phone store. I admitted I bought the ridiculous add-ons because I trusted the salesperson. I'd even asked the salesperson outright at one point, I know it's your job to sell me add-ons, but do I really need this? And when he said I did, I believed him. A few of my friends have recommended to me that I shouldn't be so trusting. And this is the one day of the year that I trust no one. And it's awful. So if trusting people leads me to making poor social choices, then not trusting people leads me to avoid social choices altogether. For the most part, it seems to me that lying harms the person telling the lie more than it does the person being lied to. So I don't worry about it much. But I also know this isn't really the case. I know that people lie to encourage me to give them money, goods or services. I reason that the things I give and do for others are things I would want to do anyway and therefore it isn't any loss. Ultimately, I'm still acting of my own free will, regardless of whether that initial motivation is from a reality that's been distorted by someone else. Maybe it does everyone a disservice for me to be such a sucker. Maybe I'm doing a disservice to myself. Maybe it makes me look bad. But that doesn't really bother me. I mean... I hate being thought of as dull-witted, but it's not like it hasn't happened before, and I'm sure it'll happen again. And what does it really matter? Does it matter that people think I'm an idiot savant? I resent it, of course. But those who are close don't regard me that way. So why worry about controlling the perceptions of people I don't hold highly enough to befriend? And maybe... It does them a disservice. Maybe it would be better if people who lied were caught and exposed more often. Maybe my scrutiny should be exercised to improve their interaction with the world, as well as mine. But if I were to exercise scrutiny more stringently, there are some glitches that arise. Firstly, there's the problem that I don't read people very well so I would be prone to making a lot of misdiagnosis. Secondly, if I noticed, I would be undoubtedly completely undiplomatic in expressing my distrust, which is particularly bad given the first outcome. And lastly, and most importantly, I don't want to walk around not trusting people. I like people. I enjoy them. Interactions with other humans are, like it or not, what gives life meaning and joy. I can't stand the idea of there being yet another barrier between me and the world. If I were to distrust people, it would just be one more thing that made it an agony to navigate. Perhaps it's for the best that I just stay in on April Fool's Day. 
The Voice of Rose, performed by Rosa Hoskins. Narrated, written and produced by Richard Butchins. The Voice of Authority, performed by Patrick Nill, who also edited and mixed this episode. This podcast was commissioned by Disability Arts Online, a platform led by disabled people to advance disability arts and culture, with additional support from Unlimited. If you have found this podcast interesting, please subscribe or comment. We can also be found on Twitter.